the reality is the hours are long, the work is hard, it's physical, and a lot of locals do not want to do that kind of job. A lot of locals want to sit in an office and, and work nine to five and have weekends off because if we can get the local market to work, we would have depended on this international market previously or up to now, and we still depend on it. Today on Dirty Linen, after indulging in a 100th episode celebration yesterday, today we are back and talking with key players in the hospitality world about staffing. Today, I wanted to have a chat to Jerry Mai. Um, Jerry is well known in the Australian restaurant world for her incredible spin on Vietnamese food. Uh, her city restaurant, Anam, has not yet reopened, but Jerry is doing a residency on the Mornington Peninsula at Ocean's 8. Uh, she also has restaurants, uh, uh, fur restaurants in the city and a beer hall in Glen Waverley. Jerry, thank you so much for taking the time to come and have a chat to Dirty Linen today. Thank you so much for having me. And what an introduction. <laughs> oh, I mean, I could have, I could go on for hours talking about <laughs> about you and and um, the energy and excitement that you bring to our food world. Um, yes, I mean, thank you for thank you for all the great meals and yeah, all the great food ideas. I just, I love it. Um, so, I wanted to get you on to talk about staffing because I remember very early in the pandemic, you have had a lot of international students that were working for you, particularly out at the Glen Waverley restaurant, and you were stricken with the situation that they found themselves in, unsupported by the government and with really nowhere to turn. Um, one of the things that we spoke about at the time was how we needed those people to, you know, restaff when the industry climbed out of the hole that it found itself in. Uh, tell us how that is going. Uh, uh, terribly. I, I think the, from the beginning when, um, you know, it was announced that uh, they were going to get support from the government um, and they were asked by our Prime Minister if they couldn't afford here to stay here, they should go home. Uh, I knew we were going to have a fight on our hands on the other end of this. And, and that's exactly where we are right now is because uh, most of the international students have gone home. We've got working holiday visas that have gone home as well and uh, there'll be no more um, working or, or um, uh, you know, uh, visitors here for a long time. So we, I, we, I can't find staff. That's why we're opening so only a couple of venues at the moment. Of our five venues, we only have two venues open. It's, we just simply don't have the staff. The team that I had on um, before or the uh, pre-COVID have uh, have gone home, essentially. 80% of my staff have gone home. Jeez, mate. That's, I mean, this is so foreseeable. We knew this was going to happen. Now it's happened. And what it means is that we can't open the economy as much as everyone would love to. You can't have as much, as much money flowing through your business as you would love to. And Correct. we don't have the restaurants that, you know, are such a key part of our identity and our activity and just, you know, they're just who we yeah. are. We, oh, we can't oh, open them. No, we can't. And the thing is that all uh, a lot of skilled staff have gone home, uh, 457 visas, working holiday visas, international students. We're not going to get any more um, working holiday visas in here for a very long, for the next year or two. Uh, international students that have gone home won't be able to come back for, again, another year or two. Um, and hospitality and also uh, 
farmers. They need the, these working holidays. They need this this international students to to do their work as well. So like them, we're both in the same uh, you know it's the same conundrum of what do we do now? Because the pool that we have currently in Australia. Um, are not really interested in working in hospitality. The hours don't suit them. They have a social life. They want weekends off, you know, all that kind of stuff. But now if you look on Facebook, you look on, on, on any hiring platform, there is people, there are people screaming out for staff and they just are not there. Yeah. I mean, let's talk a bit more about the locals because, I mean, so, you know, if if, if you said uh, to drag someone off the street and, and started talking to them about restaurants, they'd say, well, aren't there lots of unemployed Australians? What's the problem? Can't they do the jobs? Why isn't it uh, that simple? I mean, surely if someone's unemployed, you know, okay, maybe they don't want to work a weekend, but wouldn't they rather work a weekend than not have a job? No, unfortunately, I mean, we've we tried hiring local markets and it's been very difficult because... A, it feels like it's beneath them. Uh, I think there's still this stigma of hospitality or the service industry as in a, um, a servant sort of subservient sort of mentality and they don't want to do it. The, the work is hard. I'm not joking. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to muck around. I'm going to paint beautiful butterflies and say the work, work is going to be amazing. You're going to be a rock star chef or you're going to be a, a rock star front of house. Uh, I'm not going to be, you know, painting rainbows about it. The reality is the hours are long. The work is hard, it's physical, and a lot of locals do not want to do that kind of job. A lot of locals want to sit in an office and, and work nine to five and have weekends off because if we can get the local market to work, we would have depended on this international market previously or up to now, and we still depend on it. But don't people understand that if they, they want to work nine to five so that they can go out at night and go and have Avo on toast on the weekends, don't they understand that that requires people to be in, in the restaurants to um, to look after them when they get there? <laughs> oh, look, they do, but they just don't want to be that person. It's a real disconnect, isn't it? A hundred percent. I mean, you grew up here, Jerry. Like, what's the deal? I mean, why why did it seem like a viable career for you, whereas for other um, other Australians it doesn't? Well, you know, I, I came, uh, I grew up with uh, immigrant parents that worked all the time and were constantly, you know, sometimes I remember they used to have two jobs going at the same time just to make ends meet. So I'm accustomed to seeing hard work. Um, and also the fact that, you know, I came from a family where food was uh, a big part of our family, a big part of our culture. So cooking and in and, and, and restaurants was uh, a very natural thing for me to, to end up doing. And, and plus, I didn't want to sit in an office nine to five tapping away at a computer. It wasn't me. It wasn't. It doesn't help with my ADD. So hospitality was, was perfect. It gave me adrenaline. It gave me uh, creativity. It gave me camaraderie. Uh, and it gave me friendship that I have had for the last 15, 20 years. And, and that's just, you know, I came with parents that, that, that worked two, three jobs. So working wasn't an issue um, and, and food was a natural progress where I was going to go and end up, end up. I mean, you you say you've, you've, you've rattled off a whole list of things about the industry that are great, you know, that, that camaraderie, the creativity, you know, you, you're, you're part of, I mean, now I'm putting words into your mouth, but it's like you're part of what the city is, right? Like you are part of... Mel like part of what Melbourne can be proud of is the fact that you're here and, and your restaurants are here. 
I mean, that's that, that's really, yeah, that's really rich and rewarding. Sure, you've got to be on your feet a lot and it's tiring and, you know, there's there are downsides to the industry, but there's so much upside as well. I mean, what do we need to do? What, let's talk about some solutions because uh, I think it's going to be pretty difficult to have people coming in from overseas in any major way for quite a while. Uh, what else can be done to get your restaurants back open? Look, I, I, you know, with the government announcing um, rebates and so forth, hiring youth or younger workers, that will be of great help. That might motivate people to come back and, and come to the industry. I think um, the investment we made a long time ago in um, more hospital training schools, uh, we pulled uh, the plug on that. I think that should be reintroduced and maybe reintroduced into a high school level. I remember when I was younger, I had home ec. And I really enjoyed that. I think we need to introduce that in uh, at an earlier stage so people, uh, are students at that age, because not everybody's going to go to uni, not everybody's going to get a nine-to-five job. There's going to be a rascal and there's going to be a little munchkin like me or, you know, the rest of us hooligans that work in, in hospitality in high school. And to give them, an off, uh, give them a, an, another path or another avenue they can go down rather than... Um, I guess, drugs or gangs or fights or anything like that, you know. I think we need to introduce it back into year 10, 11, 12 and maybe that we'll see the reward of that in the next couple of years, which will be how long until we get more international workers back. We need to get the young kids interested in this industry again and as owners we need to be able to give our staff a work-life balance because I want a work-life balance. That has been the hardest thing out of my whole career was to get a work-life balance and now that I have a, a, a child, uh, it is the most important thing in my life at the moment. Interesting. So how do you create that for yourself as a business owner of multiple businesses and, and how can you structure that into those businesses for your staff? I force my staff out after a certain time. Uh, they have to go home. They have to put their tools down and go home. They have to have a break. They have to call their loved ones. They have two days off in a row. Uh, if I, When we do have staff and when we did have enough staff, we would rotate uh, a three-day week. So be it we close Sunday, Monday, and some will have Tuesday off as well, and then that would rotate. We did that at Annum, and it worked for the staff. Um, making sure that you push out their, and your, their loo days, if they had any loo days. Just not being, sorry, excuse my French, just not being a shit boss. Because I was, I was at the bottom of the ladder once upon a time in my life. I knew how shit that was, and I want to make sure that that wouldn't continue. I learned a lot of things from bosses that I really liked and I, I, I install in my staff today and there's stuff I was like, we are never doing that. So that work-life balance is, is makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah. I reckon, I mean, flipping the conversation a bit, if, you're, if you are looking for work, if you are a, a hospitality employee, do you feel like this is actually a really good time to find that um, excellent employer because um, 100%. Yeah, you're, you're in demand, right? Correct, 100%. And I ask those people that are out there looking for a job, don't just go to I'm going to work for, I mean, no offence to the high-end restaurants, I'm just going to go work at a high-end restaurant. Try and see if another restaurant that, you know, you can hone your skills in and not part, be part of the machine. But go and find a job that you're going to love. Go and approach a restaurant, even if they're not hiring, say, I want to work for you because... I see these things in your businesses. Uh, I see this thing in your food or I see this is how you treat your staff or, or I have had friends. This is their market. This is their market to choose 
whom they want to work for, and we've never had this opportunity before. In hospitality, we seem to resign before we have another job. We quit our jobs before we found another job. And then, you know, three weeks later, we realise, oh, shit, I have no more money. I have to go and find a job immediately and I'll go and work for just anybody that will have me. Yeah. But, are you? yeah, this is the time to be cheesy. Yeah, this is the time that you should work out the path of your career for the next five years and who and what business is going to help you get there. Because we never, ever get this chance. We never get an opportunity to work out what we're going to do with our lives. We just blindly put our head down and work. All the, all the hospo, career hospos, um, you know, and, and all I ask and all I say is the, the career hospos, the ones that have heap of experience, take a couple of young people under your wing in your venue. Take them under your wing, teach them the skills, teach them the love and the passion that you have because I think in the last few years it was has been lost. Uh, but, you know, take a couple of young kids under your wing. Teach them, train them because there are kids out there that do want to learn, that are desperate to be taught. But because we were just running around so much trying to keep each venue above water, uh, we forgot about the training and that's why we're suffering now because we don't have enough young trained staff. And it's time for a bit of nurturing, you reckon? I, I think so. I think the, we all need a bit of nurturing. We've come out of something that is um, never, ever happened in, in this lifetime and we're just, we need to help each other through this. The only way this industry is going to survive is like any other industry. You know, the, the older, the more experienced staff or experienced people need to teach the younger and the new generation coming to, through Show them why you want to do this industry. Show them why you love this industry so then they can have that same love and passion that we have had for, you know, 20, 30 years. And that needs to be, that needs to be shared and shown. Yeah. So uh, you comment um, before about mapping out your career, like looking, looking ahead five years and working out where you want to go. Can you talk a bit more about that process? Like uh, what, would you, what kinds of things would you be thinking about? What kinds of questions would you be asking of yourself and of potential employers? So um, the, the best thing I ever did for my career was I mapped it out. From when I first started this industry, I mapped it out. I worked out... Um, because if you don't map your career out, what you're going to do is you're just going to go jump from job to job to job and you're going to hate the industry because you don't find there is a reason or a goal that you're working towards. I, um, you know, I, I have parents that had owned restaurants, so my goal was always to, uh, to own a venue, own a restaurant. So I mapped out what I wanted to cook in my career. I first started my apprenticeship cooking Italian food. Was like, and then it got changed to doing um, uh, the old Peroni bar became Lotus Bar, which did Asian food and I was like this is what I want to do so from that moment I decided that I I worked for venues that I thought could teach me um uh the skills behind it the flavoring I had and I have I, I kind of understood and I kind of knew and then working out with people uh who could teach me the skills behind it um I got to work with you know seamstress long grain um Ginger Boy, this Ginger Boy was fantastic. It taught me how to do back end stuff, which chefs forget that they need to learn how to do, or even front of house. You need to learn how to. It sounds really simple, I know, especially when I'm telling someone like you, but you need to know how a Word document works or an Excel sheet works, or, or, or how to, to do the formulas for your Excel to make, you know, calculate everything for you. 
Uh, these are very, very important skills to have because if you want to be a head chef somewhere, um, these are the skills that you need to have on your side. And I worked with venues that I did. Uh, I decided very late in my youth, in my 30s, I was going to the UK and I chose the restaurants I wanted to work in the UK. So I spent a year at Nam. I spent a year at Zuma. Nam taught me more about Thai food than I had learned in my whole entire career. Um, and Zuma taught me uh, really light, delicate flavours and more knife work on fish, uh, which, which brought me back to when I came back to Australia. I was amazing to work for Jeff, who allowed a dandelion that allowed that had amazing produce and producers that I could work with and translate into Vietnamese food and have someone else's interpretation of Vietnamese food and not just mine. Um, and that built the foundation for, I guess, where I am today. I, I you know, uh, I have three Fernam stores, or we have Annam, we have Bia Hoi, all Vietnamese, but all different levels of Vietnamese food, from really casual to a beer whore to a little bit more, uh, I don't want to call it fine dining, just more refined Vietnamese food. Yeah. It's so interesting, Jerry. It's like you really constructed your own university course with all these different aspects, you know, the, the, yeah, the computer stuff, the knife stuff, the produce stuff, the cuisine stuff. It was a real curriculum that you laid out for yourself. Yeah, and I made sure, you know, um, any good chef will tell you is you shouldn't spend more than two years in one venue. As an apprentice, you should not spend more than one year at a venue because your apprenticeship is three years. Within three years, you need to find out by the end of those three years what you want to do with your career. And a lot of us, you know, we can't all be leaders and we all need soldiers. So we can't all be leaders and we can't all be soldiers. But whatever you choose to do, just make sure you're damn bloody good at it. <laughs> if, if, you know, if you decide, I just want to peel potatoes all day, just make sure you're freaking fast at peeling potatoes. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah good call so you it's uh, what I was going to ask and you, you've half answered it is about is about longevity or loyalty or you know how long you should devote yourself to one employer before you move I mean you sort of talked about that from the employee side but as an employer how do you feel about that because obviously you put so much work into your staff and as we know at the moment they're super hard to find yeah. how can you how do you sort of balance your belief in that career progression with wanting to hang on to valued staff members uh, as junior staff uh, uh, that are, are doing their apprenticeship or their first couple of years out uh, I motivate them to move on I, I spend my time with them but this is the thing. This is the thing that we forget. We have to teach the young generation so that our industry is viable. If we don't, then we're in the conundrum that we are in now. There's no staff. So I encourage always young staff to move on. It's sad. Uh, and you're right. You spend a lot of time training. But if you have all the right training systems and all the right people in training, um, it's, it's, it's a good thing. You've, you've taught somebody a skill and, and something else that they can go on with their career. Um, it's not just about you making money for me. And I think I'm one of the very few people that will ever say this. Uh, it's not just about making money for me. I hate money. If you ask my wife, I hate money. But uh, don't get me wrong, I enjoy what it allows me to do, but I actually hate it. So I'm more of interested in training and, and upskilling people. My senior staff, uh, of course, I love that. I, I respect them to stay with us for maybe two, three years, four years. Uh, and then when people get beyond that two, three, four years, it's like a bad office that someone's been in the job for 10 years. They get stale, they get lazy, they get complacent. 
and um, they need to move on to, to challenge themselves and for the business to develop further by bringing new blood in or, or a fresh eyes, pair of eyes in. But it just seems to me so, it's so incredibly generous to the industry, the way that, I mean, you, it's great for those people and I can see the advantage and disadvantages to, you know, different people flowing through your restaurants. But it's just, it is what really shines through for me is your passion for the industry as a whole and this fact that, you know, it, you're contributing to the next restaurant and the next restaurant and, you know, it'll all hopefully come back around. But do you feel that you are... Uh, an outlier in in the way that you do that or do you feel like this is a really common thing in the industry oh look i don't think there's a lot of people in the industry that likes to lose staff or like or spends a lot of time training people have this expectation that when you're hired for a particular role you need to be able to perform immediately without any training or without any uh conversation i've, I've been in trials or i've been for job um in jobs where there's no communication and i hate that i think I hate that there's no communication because that's where mistakes happen and that's where um, uh, uh, anger is because if you don't know what's happening with your job or your career or, or your roster, that's the worst place to be in for a staff member. And I think I just reflect, what I do is I reflect back on how could I have done this better 10, 20 years ago? So I'm going to hopefully help the next person. I sound like a parent. Maybe it's just because I've recently become a parent. I've been more... F- philosophical about it um but you know it's, it's crucial it's crucial and not everybody can do it because a lot of people just hire staff and just throw them in there and work and that's why we have the problem that we're having currently mm, yeah um it's interesting you know just reflecting on sponsored workers and the fact that they're tied to their employer for you know two three four years in the context of what you're saying about developing and and building a a really vibrant industry what do you think of of that concept of of the sponsored worker who's bound to one employer well technically the the sponsored worker can move on to another employer as long as the new employer is willing to do the paperwork and sponsor them to continue yeah sure but that's practically doesn't always isn't always easy for that that person to find the next employer no yeah we've had we've had a, a few sponsored employers employees that we've you know uh, been with us for a couple of years and like, you know, I want to go to something bigger or faster because people's mentality is that if I go to a bigger corporation or a bigger company, I'll be able to move around. But I've gone to those bigger corporations and companies. They actually don't. They, they just fix you into one little place. And, you know, you're right. With the sponsored employer, is slightly a little bit different because there is an investment from the, the, the employer, the employee and the employer. So it's a commitment that you have to sort of, of work out but after I think it's two or three years I think it's two years on sponsoring uh, and then if you stay on two years after that I think it's very fair and reasonable for them then to move on to advance their career um, they get to stay in the country the the owners had um, the opportunity to have them for four years or three years I, I, I think that's very fair and reasonable and you know the people that are employed in those uh, are sponsored are in higher roles anyway you know like sous chef and and sort of head chef roles, and that goes back to, in my management team, I would like these people to stay on for that roughly amount of time anyway. Mm, yeah. You know, rarely do you sponsor a commie chef or, or an apprentice or anything like that. They're mostly senior roles or assistant managers, managers, those kind of roles. 
What about your, the students that you were employing and, and the working holiday visas? Were they hospitality lifers or were they mostly um, people who were here, here studying and HOSPO was just a way that they paid the bills while they were here? I think it's uh, column, column A and column B. At, you know, at um, Fernam, we hired um, unskilled or untrained staff and then we trained them to uh, how we do, how we, our processes and our procedures. And then they actually leave our venue and then go to, into restaurants to work because we've trained them this basic skill, but they now can go into a smaller restaurant or a smaller cafe and do the job. Um, with our guys at, um, you know, Annam and, and um, Beho, we're very fortunate that we get to hire um, skilled staff that come in there. They, you know, we teach them, they teach us. Um, I'm, I'm always of the mind that I've never learnt everything in this industry and I'm always so excited to see if anybody has anything, any other way to do it better than what I'm doing. Wow. And there's always someone that, that's doing it better. There's always someone that's doing it better than me. Um and if they can come show me, I can show and we'll show them how we do things. Right. It's, I, I think it's a very take and give. But we, we get so stuck in this industry and I tell you, you know, the way that uh, you and I have seen the industry is you go there, you work, you work your ass off and then one day you die. <laughs> but I, 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 I don't want people to do that to this industry. I really, I, you know, I, I have a love for the industry, uh, for hospitality, but I have a love for Vietnamese and Vietnamese food. So I, I, I guess I'm fortunate where I get to teach people Vietnamese food, or staff Vietnamese food, um, but then get them to have a, a different set of skills as well. Yeah. Especially in the kitchen. Because some things I do and they're like, you can't do that. It's like my mum said I could so you can go do that. <laughs> like what? What's an example of something you've learned from one of these people? Yeah, so we just, you know, simple thing of slapping meat and, and uh, all the air pockets out of the protein so it binds and stays together. I, I, you know, I get guys and they go, but why would you bother? Can't you just mix it together? So it's just a different process and it's something that my mum said we just have to do for our bitterly. Um, and just little tricks like that that made it really um, interesting. You know, coconut cream, if you have fresh coconut cream, you shouldn't put it in a metal container. Uh, seems really logical, but, you know, the amount of Western chefs I've seen in a metal container, we put it in a plastic container so it doesn't uh, oxidise or... Uh, have a funny sometimes it gets a funny taste in it um yeah just simple things like that and you know I, i've worked with uh when i worked in um zoom I, had, I learned from staff all brand new um knife skills to work with fish to cut sashimi sushi all that kind of stuff so it's just i i think it's foolish for us in the industry to go i've learned everything i know everything uh which a lot of chefs don't but some i think get settled in um and i i love meeting new chefs that's why I love doing uh collabs when we go away and do something else or we do dinners together with other chefs because you get to learn something different you get to see something new that you wouldn't have otherwise seen in your own kitchen yeah that's cool I mean the reason that I love doing stuff with food is that you just learn something new all the time it's just it's probably the thing I love the most it's just an endless opportunity to get inspired by new stuff and yeah and like might be the old stuff but a new spin on it and that's just as exciting yeah 100% like you know, when you go away to food festivals or things like that um, and you get to talk to other chefs and see what they're doing it's exciting I mean sometimes you get to someone like where I am, I can't go and get work experience. I can't go and do a, a, a stage somewhere because we don't even have that in Australia, but I just can't um, go and get a job somewhere just to say I can have a look, you know. People's like, what, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing here? 
Um, <laughs> but you know, going to like uh, going to like um, food festivals and stuff is fantastic because you're sitting there, you're talking, uh, and, and going through ingredients. I get to see ingredients that I don't normally see. It's just exciting. Yeah. I bet it's even just like seeing how someone else organises something must be really fun. Just, you know, how do they, where do they stack that? And oh, what yeah. are they, where do they yeah. put that? All that cool as well. How they set cool their well? bus and how they set all their nine pans and their gastros and how many brushes and spoons they need. It's fascinating because I, I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm a, I'd like to say I'm not too meticulous where I use 20 ingredients or one thing and use tweezers, but I find the concept of using tweezers fascinating. <laughs> you know, in, in Vietnamese cooking, you just don't use tweezers. I just find that stuff really interesting and in how someone sets up their kitchen. I'm like, shit, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of putting the oil in the bottle and putting the chucks over it? That way it doesn't slip and slide out of my hand. Why did I not think of that? Like something so basic, you know. Yeah. And you walk away and I walk away. Those little hacks are often the best. Yeah, and I walk away from those things and it's just like the best three days I've ever been. I'm probably the hardest I've ever worked, but the best I've ever had. I've had. Yeah, love it. Um, Jerry, we're all about the outdoors in Victoria this summer and you are doing your own outdoorsy thing down on the Mornington Peninsula. Can you tell me a bit about that? Um, so we are at uh, Ocean, Ocean 8 um, down in Mornington. I love the winery. I, I know Mike, who's the winemaker and owner for uh, maybe five, six, seven years now, and for a really long time, I've said to Mike, we should do some Asian food because his wine goes fantastic with it. And I guess I just called him at the right time, at the right minute, where he thought, that's great, let's do it. And so then here we are, you know, in the Mornington. Uh, we're there uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday uh, doing lunch. It's just a barbecue. It's very cash. You grab your uh, picnic uh, blanket um, and head down, bring the kids. You can sit on the lawn. The kids can roll down the hill on the lawn um, and we're just doing uh, barbecue and the menu will change uh, every every week. Not the whole menu, but we'll have, have different things every week. Uh, and it's just a, a nice way to get out of the city. Speaking of getting out of the city, I mean, this weekend is the first weekend that Melburnians can go more than 25K. I mean, I reckon you just might be getting smashed this weekend, don't you think? I think everyone's going to be on the on the highway. Uh, we got so much local support last weekend because we thought it would be casual. We'll do just a small amount of prep. We'll get to see and get to feel what's going on. And I just got smashed by the locals. Even the locals were dying to get out, banging to get out. Um to have a wine, have something to eat. And the weekend, the weather was perfect. So the weekend, you know, this weekend the weather looks great. We're, we're fully getting stocked up now. Uh, I've had to uh, call in a cool room so we can store all our stuff down there. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, and so it's going to be great. I think it's, it's perfect um, to get out of the city, go for a drive. I, I love Mornington. I'm there all the time normally anyway um, through autumn for the pine mushrooms and through summer just to get out of the city. Uh, it's a nice drive. It's an hour and a bit out of the city, out of the CBD, straight on the freeway, easy to get to, and doing Vietnamese food on the peninsula, which is not really common. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, great, yeah, a bit of diversity down there. Yeah, uh, so we've got a barbecue that we've got heaps of like skewers like bola lot and uh, pork skewers. We've got pork ribs, beef ribs going on the barbecue. This weekend, I've got a uh, uh, lamb going on the spit as well. Um, so we're just trying to 
have a proper Aussie barbecue. Since we can't have more than two people in our house, I'm hoping you can come out to us and we'll sort out an Aussie, uh, an Aussie Vietnamese barbecue for you. The best. So good. And um, just finally, Jerry, let's talk about the city because you've got an arm and I mean, you've mentioned that you don't have the staff to open it, which is certainly one major issue. The other issue is that, you know, people aren't coming into the city as much. How are you feeling about the CBD, I guess, over summer and, and into next year? I, I think, you know, um, we've opened for our Fernom stores, we've opened one. Hopefully we'll open the one in Melbourne Central. I don't see us opening Collins Street, perhaps even this side of Christmas, because we're about five weeks away from Christmas. And um, normally we close around Christmas because there's no one here. The building capacities in the offices are only about 20% currently. Um, so that's, that's nothing compared to what it would normally be. So we're a bit concerned for our, our stores in the city. Um, Unless the government says, even on Sunday, you know, he says, if you can work from home, work from home, that needs to change so people can come back to working, come back to working in the city. I think we'll find moving to next year, there will be a little bit of, you know, three days in the office, two days at home, which has been working for everybody. And they've been set up at home to be able to do that anyway. I think office towers, where I'm getting concerned, where uh, off, you know, big companies are realising they don't need such a large footprint in buildings so how that would look and how that would change would be of uh, where we're trying to, we're keeping an eye on that uh, but until the government says you can go back to the office uh, it's going to stay empty for a while the tradies are loving it though the builders are loving it because <laughs> they can just zip around yeah there's constructions every, construction going on everywhere um yeah because they, they can close off streets quite easily now and so, you know, the builders are loving it. But for us, we, are, we are, are very concerned as to when the government will say, go back, to, you can go back to your office. And then from that is uh, what would these large companies think? Do they need 10 levels anymore? Do they need five levels anymore? And, and, and how that would look for businesses like us, QSRs like us, and even the restaurants in the city, because, you know, the, the city is buzzing and, and, and vibrant and, and rocking when you know you finish work on a Thursday Friday you go and have a drink at the, the, the bar across the road or the pub across the road uh, and then you know while we're in the city we'll go and have something to eat um, you know uh, meeting friends in the city someone's already here so you'll come in from the outer suburbs to come into the city um, I, I think that landscape's going to change and I think we need to sort of uh, uh, work out what we're going to do and that's what we're doing working out what we do but, you know, Glen Waverley, that in the outer suburbs, is getting a lot of love uh, out there at the moment because people are just staying local. People are staying around their suburb, around their area still, um, eating and drinking around there. So we'll, we'll, I think we'll see a huge shift uh, this Christmas, this year, out to the outer suburbs. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. And I think that, that development where um, Boho is um, out at Glen Waverley, it's almost in retrospect a bit of a genius move because it's that sort of indoor-outdoor plaza kind of vibe. So the whole outdoor thing works really well there, doesn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic out there. You, you know, they've uh, added additional uh, tables and chairs out there to the common areas. So it means that, uh, you know, people can buy takeaway or from the food court and come sit around there. Um it's, it's a really nice little hub, little community feel out there, you know, and that's where I think the city is going to 
yeah, and that's where the city is going to struggle. I mean, I admire what the Melbourne City Council is doing um, with all the um, outdoor seating and, and how much they've invested in it, but I'm not quite sure that's enough to rescue us. us. Well, I think also, you know, especially, and um, you, you would have got a lot of theatre trade as well. So until all those, um, the, the theatre, the concerts, until that sort of stuff comes back, that will also be a bit of a dent in trade. Yeah, hugely. You know, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays, Sundays for us or Friday, Saturdays for us. So, yeah, and that that's all back to consumer, how confident they are, how confident they are what's going on and how confident they are with the government. And I think everybody... It's feeling a lot better considering we've had 11 uh, double donuts days. Yeah. Um, long may they continue. Oh, long may they reign. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it's great. Well, Jerry, I hope that, you know, with all the different things you've got going on, that it, it sort of patches together into a brilliant summer for you and your staff and all the new staff that are going to hear what an amazing boss you are and start bashing down the door to, to work with you. Uh, thank you so much for your really encouraging and inspiring words today it's so heartening to hear your love of the industry and yeah I think Melbourne is so lucky that that uh yeah that you're such an important part of our food scene because you're just really contributing to what you know the good things that are going to come for for Melbourne restaurants thank you so much no thank you so much for letting me have my heartfelt conversation about it I've been ranting to my wife it's nice to rant to somebody else about it <laughs> Great. Happy to be your rantee anytime. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you. Jerry. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs>